during the long night of Arctic winter, driven by the urge to migrate, the tiny rat-like creatures, called lemmings, rush in a single line to plunge straight into the sea. Biologists have not been able to unravel this mystery of le the lemming mass suicide. But Shaco was not concerned by mysteries. He was concerned with aging! Black Dog Earthlips, my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the eighth episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This month we're covering September 1977, progs 28 through 31. This week, uh, Judge Dredd changes his place in the order, and I think we've kind of settled into what these comics are going to end up being. Oh, and Dan Dare's back. Oh, man. So awesome, actually. Not garbage. A shocking. I know. But be before we get to that, let's go to Thrill One Invasion. Hey, we're in Scotland this week with Invasion. <laughs> Prepare your bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> as we travel so, from uh, a camp to the midlands basically we kind of go from like glasgow to the highlands essentially yeah, yeah. yeah so we last week savage infiltrated the uh, gorbals ghetto in glasgow gorbals being a uh, a district in glasgow i guess oh i didn't actually know that oh yeah yeah i figured i i hooked it up <laughs> all right sweet um, you'll be my historian through this romp i'm trying to do my best you know <laughs> so now he's leading the breakout um from the ghetto because it's about to be liquidated and this is a bunch of good, good Vogue fighting action. The fight takes them into a rugby arena, and they like turn the lights on the Vogues and like shoot them down and stuff. A uh, an elderly rugby player offers to help them, and they're like, "No so man, awesome. you're old." They're like, "No man, you're old. Get out of here." But eventually, he ends up saving the day when the Volgans shoot a globe bomb at them at the resistance fighters. Which, and the rugby. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, which he can just, I guess, punt right behind him yeah, into it's a the, crowd of Volks. Yeah, it's the exact same size as like a rugby ball, so he just punts it away and like is a hero or whatever, gets shot down. Also wanted to give special mention to what they called uh, Savage's pump gun, mm -hmm. <laughs> but in this case it's just his shotgun, but it can shoot grenades. <laughs> well, he has like a blank shell with a bunch of... Um, like explosives jammed down the barrel or something like mm -hmm. that. And so apparently that just propels the explosives forward like a rocket launcher. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how shotguns work, but it seems pretty effective. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so next up, still making their escape. Uh, the Volgans outfit a bunch of criminals from this big local prison with oh, flamethrowers to be soldiers to take down the resistance guys. So, at first, it's like, hey, we're English like you. Like, oh, no, they're Volgans with flamethrowers. We're going to die. Um, the Resistance guys make a big wall out of fire engines. <laughs> irony. And then, yep. And then, total irony. They don't use the fire engines to put out the fire. Instead, they use the ladders on the fire engines <clears throat> to drop down among the attacking uh, convicts to be inside the range of their flamethrowers so they can't use them. And they take them all out. 
And they make it okay, like hand wavy okay, because one of the guys just like strangles a dude and says, oh, it's this guy, he's a strangler. Yeah, the G- Glasgow Strangler or something like that. <laughs> yeah, get a taste of your own medicine. <laughs> of course. So then the Resistance guys put on the criminals' uniforms and pretend to be them and um, put an ambush on the final line of guards, allowing the rebellions, not the rebels, I should say, now in stolen Bolgon tanks to roll their way out to the Highlands. So freaking cool. It's good, man. Now in the Highlands, the Resistance convoy is attacked by Bolgon jump jets. Such crap. One guy's like, oh, I'll take the, those jets out with my grenade. And it's like, that grenade isn't going to do anything against those jets, man. <laughs> like, you can't throw that thing at a plane that's going at supersonic speed strafing everybody that's ridiculous well and he's the soldier he's not the cop yeah but so So you should know better exactly but eventually savage and the guys managed to trick the plane into flying into a bunch of nearby wires which takes it out but they're then attacked by sort of volgon ground troops they put on a holding action and most of the volgon of the uh, scottish resistance guys are killed and Silk and Savage escape on their own into the snowy mountaintops of the Highlands. Yeah, but poor soldier guy takes himself out with his grenade that he wanted to use the entire yeah, time. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he suicides with the grenade and takes a bunch of Volgons out with him. Rest in peace, nameless dude. Nameless hey. Scotsman. You had one of those hats with a thingy on the top, and that's good enough <laughs> for me. Um, in the snowy mountains of Scotland... The Volgs send ski troops after our guys, which I'm, I always appreciate ski troops. Me too. I actually really love a good ski assassin. The uh, They chase Silk and Savage to this uh, ski lodge they find, and in front of the ski lodge is this uh, picket fence with a sign of, like, we're closed written on it. Savage they kill Sil- people so gruesome here. Savage and Silk grab this picket fence and when. A ski guy jumps over the hill and like goes to land on them. They hold up the fence instead, and it like cuts the dude in half or something. They, they don't really show it. They definitely kill this guy with this picket fence with this like seven slats of a picket fence to kill this dude. <laughs> then two more two more ski guys come flying at them, and and Savage grabs the dead ski dudes like ski poles and just holds them out. And I guess those two guys just slam into the ski poles and get skewered. Like that's definitely what's implied. Yep, uh, it's pretty gross. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, from inside the lodge, they're attacked by troops on a uh, on a snowcat, one of those like tractor things with the uh, the treads that lets you traverse snow and stuff. Get ready for incoming irony. As these guys with their snowcat enter the vehicle, Savage sets it up so they're attacked by Savage Highland Wildcats. <laughs> Which Savage learned about from a nearby uh, like display stand. Apparently, these wild cats had gotten very large, living off the food left over in the lodge. I guess or something. Yep. And even now, though he's a mad dog and he never really <laughs> liked cats, he's beginning to like the Highlands. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know if Highland wild cats are a thing. I put a Highland wild cat into Google, and all I get is like high school sports teams. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a. A made-up ocelot, basically. It, could, it very well could be, is what I'm trying to say. It's all right. Anyhow, this month of Progs ends with uh, Savage and Silk meeting up with some Resistance dudes in a cave system in Scotland, where oh, apparently so they'll be facing things for the future. Yeah, it's pretty stu- it's, it's pretty awesome. 
And we're getting ready for the next big invasion chapter. And that's invasion this month. Oh, damn, was it good. It was so good. Man, the breakout was really neat. There was a lot of, like, good, like, when they jump off the ladders of the fire trucks into the resist- into the, uh, oh, yeah. the flamethrower dudes. I just, you know, it's just a lot of explosions this week. And yeah. uh, I really like the change-up that he's he's working with the Scots now. So there's not this power dynamic thing. They're just all fucking, like, crazy like yeah. him. And it's nice to, and it's interesting to see Savage like he's winning individual fights, but he's basically on the run at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it's he's not just sort of like winning constantly. He'll win a little bit, but he's got to keep on the move because he's you know he's a resist he he is a resistance leader, not like a soldier that's like winning a battle. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and that's the thing is that <clears throat> he almost never keeps his troops. Uh, somebody always dies, or at least a couple people in these like. They really do kind of share casualties, even though there's like this larger Volgon force that he just murders every episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's losing his guys pretty quickly as well. Yeah, just uh, I I don't know. I feel like those are the stakes you kind of set up. Like they're meant to be resistance, so there's uh, obviously a lot less of them than there are of anyone else. Yeah. So it kind of makes it all right. But um, I just want to take a moment to say... uh, it's pretty impressive that driving into a building full of cats, then getting ripped apart by those cats could potentially happen. But you know, it's super ridiculous. It's awesome. Uh, that's that's my top murder for this <laughs> for this month of Prague. So I just want you to know. Awesome. Hey, speaking of top murder, thrill to Judge Dread. We got some pretty classic Judge Dread uh, stories this this month. So first off, yeah. we. F- Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> so we, so we, first of all, we continue from last episode where uh, Judge Judge Giants in his shakedown run, um, he gets a second chance when a bunch of kidnappers hole up in the old Harlem Heroes arena. Uh, Giant takes out some kidnappers near the uh, the 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 Lewis statue, and there's a statue. Yeah, I like that Lu- a lot. Yeah, I like how there's a statue of both Lewis as a as a player and Lewis as a brain in a jar. Like these are two <laughs> equally important parts of this guy's career. Yeah. <laughs> he then uh, dons an aeroball jetpack for the first time, saves the kid that's been kidnapped, and uh, throws a bomb into the score tank, scoring his first and last airstrike. He's <laughs> got it in his blood, but he's a judge. Yeah. So the final part of the test is a. Uh, Judge Dredd's like, you guys are kidnappers, and while the law says I should arrest you, I'm going to kill you instead. And <gasps> Judge Giant draws his gun on Dredd and says, I can't let you do that, and that's like the final test. <laughs> like That he, of course, goes, go against Dredd because the law is more important than any one judge. Which is awesome. Yeah. So we then, uh, so Judge Giant is made a full judge with the black helmet instead of the white helmet, and we get a cameo from Old Man Giant. Being like, oh, that's my boy. I'm so proud. And Judge and and uh, Judge Giant's like, I gotta go. The law waits for no man. Yeah, he skips out on a party that his dad's throwing for him, and you can. I I don't know. It's it broke my heart because Giant is like this awesome character, and you just get to see how like this this thing of being a judge is a sacrifice, and mm-hmm. I think it matters because you know this character. It was super cool. Yeah, it was a good and like, also heartbreaking. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. 
Next up, we meet uh, the Neon Knights, an anti-robot hate group spawned in the uh, <laughs> in the ashes of the Call Me Kenneth Robot War uprising. That definitely are called clans that use the letter K in order mm-hmm. to say that. Yep, and they wear like sort of black, like clan mat, like clan hoods and stuff like that, and ride around on motorcycles and look very BDSM. They're very, they're very. Um, like they're very 40k actually i'd say yeah oh yeah very 40,000 but they're killing robots and robot sympathizers all over mega city one and the public is sympathetic to them because they've lost because people everybody's lost one or two people in the course of the robot wars um at one point walter who's out after robot curfew because he's a free robot gets taken by the neon knights and their hideout where they start to to destroy walter is right near a graveyard where Judge Dredd happens to be visiting a bunch of judges that were killed in the in the robot war. Dredd comes down to save Walter, takes on the whole clan himself, eventually beat, k- kicking the ass of the uh, of the clan leader. Uh, J- Dredd does his usual thing of ripping the uh, leader's face off, and it turns out that he's a cyborg. <laughs> and everybody instantly loses respect. Yeah, I don't want to work. I don't want to be part of a clan with no cybo and stuff. It's just, uh, oh, racism wins the day. Exactly. Um, they all declare Judge Dredd the law and are soon arrested and taken away. Good times. Also, six-page comic this time for him. Yeah, this is a long one. I liked it a lot. Next up, Rico Dredd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Rico arrives in town, calls <laughs> out Dredd, knocks out Maria the housekeeper, and sucks all the air out of Dredd's apartment, return, causing it to become a freezing vacuum. When Dredd arrives, uh, Rico subdues him and then sort of starts monologuing, and we learn the history of Joe, Dr- of Joe and Rico Dredd. Uh, they're both clones from Superior Judge Stock. They went through the uh, academy together. Rico was always the better one, helped Joe pass his uh, tests and stuff. But then Rico went bad taking bribes, running a protection racket, etc. For his crimes, Rico was set to Titan, the uh, moon of Saturn. That's also the prison for judges. Yeah, and then he ends up and, looking uh, real friggin' intense. And yeah, now, a talk box. yeah, now he's back and he's got a crazy cyberspace, cyber face, which is the only thing that allowed him to survive while he was on Titan. He's got a big radiator hole radiator hole where his nose used to be and stuff. It's awesome. He looks real messed up. Yeah, he does. He looks like a proper villain. Yeah, so they have a showdown, like a, you know, who can draw the fastest. And Dredd easily outdraws him because Rico's been slowed down by his time on Titan. Joe Dredd, Judge Dredd, carries the body of his brother Rico out of his apartment. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So awesome. (laughs) And then... The final story is we'll recall in the first story of Judge Dredd, there was this guy named Whitey who was like a killer. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he was sentenced to uh, to Devil's Island, which is basically a prison colony smack dab in the middle of the biz- of the busiest part of the giant Mega City One superhighway that never stops, so you can never escape. Un- unfortunately, some criminals on Devil's Island have managed to mess with the weather control system for Mega City One and make it snow, which causes a traffic jam and allows Whitey to escape. Dredd is in pursuit. Eventually, Whitey gets the drop on Dredd and almost kills him, but a well-timed snowball takes him down. (laughs) 
Whitey's return to Devil's Island as the sun once again shines on Mega City One. Yes, yeah, short and sweet. Yeah, and that's just it for this week. Uh, all in all, damn good. Uh, I wasn't the big like the Whitey one, whatever, but pretty much uh, three out of four progs ain't bad. Yeah, I love. I think I always think it's super funny how they just matter. Like it just matter factly says like, yeah, man, me like Judge Dredd and Rico. Yeah, we're brothers. Yeah, we're clones. Like that's just sort of out there. Like everybody yeah. knows it because yeah. then like twenty years later or whatever in the Judge Dredd movie that will be like the big reveal like plot line <laughs> of the whole of the whole movie. You know? Yeah. It's like oh my god, Judge Dredd is a is a clone made in a lab. Whereas now it's just like, yeah, man, like, here you are, Prague, like, 30. Like, yeah, no, we were made in labs. We're clones, whatever. <laughs> well, why why are you making a big deal about it, you know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, hey, they're alive. They're not not alive, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, so the two <clears throat> that I particularly liked, obviously the one with Giant mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the callback and what it means and kind of how it's supposed to make you feel... Um, but the other one being uh, with the Neon Knights because of how just blatant it is. <laughs> yeah. Racism bad, which, hey, man, I'm all for because their last couple comics definitely rode the line. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good, it, it's a statement that it never hurts to get out there. So no, no, I feel like it's a pretty good one. And so, did you have any particular favorites? I mean, were you looking forward to uh, to Rico kind of? Being I mean, top? I like the I like the Rico one when it shows up. So much stuff that we're going to see as Judge Red sort of wears on comes like out of this thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of stuff with the Judge, um, with the cloning program and stuff. Um, we get like multiple Ricos as time goes by of sort of clones and other attempts that Judge Dredd has and other sort of family things and sort of just story stuff that Judge Dredd has. It's based around like this Rico character and stuff. So oh, that's awesome. It's neat to kind of see him show up and be like, all right, like now we're getting into the real stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I'm I mean, still really loving their character art, especially like when he was coming into the city and how he covered himself up. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, to see Dredd be so emotional about Rico now. Like, the thing of, of him being sentimental about Rico's death and stuff is a is a Judge Dredd care trait that will be, um, I think, worn away as time goes by. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, like, I don't think... Like, <clears throat> this, pr- this is a pretty emotional Judge Dredd at the end of this story that is not, <laughs> yeah. like, sta- like, is not on model for your standard Judge Dredd kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's still pretty neat. So you get like this glimpse, but as time goes on, because this guy keeps coming back into his life, it just becomes like, well, dealing well, with garbage. Just as things happen, sort of Judge Dredd becomes sort of colder and more efficient, mm. I think. That makes sense. Yeah. And speaking of things that are cold and efficient. <laughs> thrill 3, Shacko. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so we start podcasting. out oh yeah i'm doing my best buddy i'm podcasting <laughs> the hell out of this thing <laughs> oh, amazing. so we start with shacko being in trouble right he's he's cornered in the hospital from last issue and a bunch of guys have like sharpened spear sharpened poles or something like that they're jabbing him to shacko and being like somebody get a gun and finish this bear off until 
uh, known traitor to the human race, Unk, <laughs> uh, breaks a window in the hospital, which allows Shacko to escape. After, you know, uh, Shacko, blinded by the by blood in his face, man, almost kills Unk, and Unk sort of remarks that the Americans have turned Shacko into a killing machine, which is false, based on what we've seen, at least. Yes, thank you. He started out a killing machine. You can't blame Americans for that. No, he just wants to kill people because they've been consistently more annoying than most food. <laughs> Anyhow, still injured, Shacko comes upon an oil pipeline with two humans on it that sort of taunts him. <laughs> they throw snowballs in his face. Mm-hmm. Shacko kills them both, by, first by piling snow up on the bottom of the pipeline to oh, climb up onto it. Then he claws one to death and chases down another, burying them inside the other end of the pipeline, just filling it with snow for him to presumably freeze to death. I that gave I had to stop after that because I have like an intense fear of like tight spaces, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was that was a little intense. It's like, oh, it's too it's too packed. I can't escape. Shaco will exploit your fears and then eat your insides. <laughs> the next prog starts with um, some nature falsehoods, but something that you would probably learn that that a falsehood that that you would probably learn while learning a bunch of fit of bear facts, which is Shaco sitting at the bottom of the hill as lemmings jump off the side of the hill straight into, Shacko, into, into Shaco's mouth. <laughs> but it's Lem- pretty funny. Lemmings don't actually do this, but it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he is just eating a lot of lemmings. He's then beset by a uh, Buck Dollar and uh, Falmouth, and they have a team of anti-bear attack dogs, <laughs> which is you know impressive. Yeah, they sort of beat Shacko up, and Shacko is in a lot of pain. He's about to Falmouth is about to take the kill shot when from a distance. A bunch of dogs are killed. Of oh, the dogs are, st- are killed instead. Aw, oh, dang! It's the Russians. <laughs> yeah, the, because uh, because now it's time for a cold war in the cold Antarctic. war in the cold north. Yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, so Shako's captured and taken aboard a Russian whaling ship, which is also the base of operations for Russian secret agents, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh Shack- wait, his name was horrible. Nikolai Bosnovic Danovic. <laughs> what? Anyway. But so Shacko's put in a cage because they don't really know why they're actually supposed to get Shacko or whatever. <laughs> they just know they're supposed to get him. So. Oh, right. The Russians taunt Shacko inside the cage because they're idiots because Shacko's a gigantic bear. But they still taunt him. As the kill order comes down, Shacko gets loose on the boat and starts to under-siege his way around the ship. Uh, he's doing it a light service here. Um, a Russian man punched the bear in the face, then decided to unlock the gate, and then try to fist fight the bear. <laughs> it's these Russians. They're, they're bad. <laughs> so Shaco's loose in this whaling ship. Uh, he eats a lot of blubber from inside, like the whaling ship thing, <laughs> and he knocks a dude into the blubber rendering vats, which, like, kills him instantly, which is pretty Uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, though, the Russians actually shoot Shacko, like, in the head, but don't kill him. A guy walks up for the killing shot when suddenly a bunch of American helicopters show up, and uh, they're like, hey, Shacko's an American bear. Only us Americans could kill him. (laughs) And 
they uh, they tie Shacko to one of the helicopters and fly off. But then those no good Russians shoot the helicopter down with an explosive harpoon. The helicopter crashes into the water along with Shacko, and now Shacko's being dragged to the bottom of the ocean by the helicopter wreckage. No, <laughs> Shacko. I'm. I have a feeling he'll be pretty all right. <laughs> Yeah, that Shacko's like a a, a, a a natural hero. He can't die that way. Well, so I mean, he uh, he got beat up a lot these last few progs. He got yeah, stabbed man. a bunch, bit a bunch, got shot in the face, got punched yeah, in the face. Shacko's definitely shown the worst for wear um, in these most recent progs. Yeah, he's. His, I uh, think we're in our act two for Shacko before yeah, he makes a gruesome comeback. Yeah, his, his fall um, from grace into the ocean. <laughs> his native invisibility is not firing on all, on all cylinders. It seems like. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, again, this is so this is such a great read. I'm so glad that this is what replaced Flash. <laughs> it's just more crazy, um, man. You know, bear bites man action. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do kind of question, like the Russian guy who decided to punch like a bear i guess they like the excuse was he was drinking yeah that was just that was awful like why would you do that like <laughs> you don't want to you don't want a fair fight with a bear man like, <laughs> like he you take any advantage you can get that bears like it's like jacko was standing up and he was like 15 feet tall i swear to god oh god yeah because this dude's like six something and he came up to like jacko's waist like, what's your plan? You don't have a plan to fight oh, no. this bear. His plan was to punch him right in the fish basket and then to throw him. <laughs> That's a terrible plan. Keep that thing in the cage and you bear bait it. That's why we have bear baiting. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. I don't know the exact ways of killing a bear, but I know punching it. I know punching a bear that's covered in blood and with a breath that smells like a small town. <laughs> like the inhabitants of a small town is not a good plan. You know what I mean? Oh my god. Like, ugh, you got small town breath, man. I can smell the sheriff and his wife. And oh, the, both the local school teacher and hospital nurse on your breath. He's eaten so many people. <laughs> and that's not even counting the small animals. And Falmouth's arm. It's so much. This is a murder machine. He's just so hungry. And <laughs> I, I, like, I know we're not talking about something deeper right now, but... Uh, okay, so let's let's be realistic here. Russians showed up in the Arctic to have a cold war with the Americans over a polar bear. That's a murder is... of both of them. It's an amazing series, dude. World War Three is now broken out over this bear. Like there are Russians and Americans trading shots directly, destroying each other's helicopters and all this stuff. Like the Russians just killed like four Americans on U.S. soil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like. Like, the world's going to end over this bear right now. <laughs> and, like, that's what's amazing. All the while, he's just murdering all things. And they can't kill him. Mm-hmm. No one can do it. The closest were the Russians. I'm guessing that they're the only ones who've got, like, some kind of passive to murdering bears. <laughs> they've, they've mastered it over the years, I guess. <laughs> just like Americans with bald eagles or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. <clears throat> I uh, I feel like it's definitely getting more gruesome. They're getting more detailed with his murders, and he's got a lot more blood trails. Mm-hmm. Ah, Jed, it's just really good. He maims a dude just so he doesn't run away. 
Yep, yep. Yeah, that's what the oil pipeline thing. Like the two guys run in opposite directions. Yeah, you can't get us both. And Shaco's like, I bet I can. And maims one and then chases after the other and traps him in the ice thing in the uh, in the uh, pipeline. It's I don't I don't know I don't know what my top well no I guess my top murder would be uh, would be when he kills the dude in a fist fight. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, no, for me it's when he tosses the guy in the blubber rendering thing. Oh that's my ridiculous. god! And just instantly murders him in a vat of blubber. Because that's just an indirect one, you know. Like that's that's kind of points for um, for creativity, you know. You know, Anyone speaking of eaten in, alive. Speaking of indirect murders. <laughs> Non-thrill content. <laughs> Alright, so let's quickly go through all the uh, all the covers and future focus posters and few, the few letters we got God. this month, Fox. I was not the biggest fan of this. <laughs> so Prog 28, the cover is um like fight at fifty thousand at, at twenty thousand. 20,000 fathoms or something like that. Yeah. And uh, basically all life in the oceans have been de- is killed due to environmental disasters. So to feed humanity, we've genetically engineered these giant uh, fish crab monsters. They're sort of giant and, you know, one can feed a country or something like that. It's fucking weird. But then they go evil, as they as things always do. Because it is giant and it is a crab monster. And so now we're all fighting fish crab monsters, whatever. It's uh, that's pretty aptly described. <laughs> the uh, the so at the end of all these progs this this month, there's these posters called Future Focus postographs. They're sort of numbered, and each one kind of depicts a uh, space scene. This week, it's uh, The Planet Doctors, which is a bunch of uh, spaceships with the words Genesis written on them, sort of uh, terraforming a planet and, like, blasting the alien life forms on it and sort of, whatever, making... Spraying grow, piss things, all over things the place. Things grow green and stuff. Yeah, it's like whatever. <laughs> uh, it's, from, it's one of my favorite ones from this series. <laughs> Mostly it's because it's peeing everywhere. It's ridiculous. <laughs> In, in a Prague 29, in the distant year of 2010, pigeons are such a massive problem in the city of London that the government creates a giant death oh, robot right. to deal with them. Uh, the death robot goes evil and starts killing everybody. There you go. <laughs> Surprise! Also in this one, uh, Tharg fixes the editor droid that's responsible for some recent typos in the comic. The big because one I've... some kid... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I saw this one, too, was in a recent invasion. It said that it was 1994 instead of 1999. Ah. Uh, yeah, but then then Andrew Peters tries to point out a problem and gets smacked down by knowledge of flag etiquette. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, also, like, damn, they did their research. Kind of. Something. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, it's just one of those funny, like, uh, like actually, the flag was upside down. Actually, the flag's supposed to be upside down because they're surrendering, dude. Like, okay, guy, I don't know. <laughs> so great. The uh, the future focus is a sweet like uh, exploration space station kind of place. It's destination Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prague thirty is the weirdest one. <laughs> like, yeah, a, a bunch of aliens. That are time travelers, but the time traveling part doesn't really factor into it. Are are beaten in a war, sort of like um oh I'm blanking on it. Those guys with the hunchbacks in Mass Effect. 
And, oh um, yeah, Krogans. Yeah, the Krogans. And so, like, and so, but instead of sterilizing them, this one anthropologist lady tries to teach them emotions. They won't want it. To, they won't be murderous death machines. <laughs> and it ends with them st- stealing a bus and her standing in front of the bus, and they don't run her over because they've learned the emotion of pity or something. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> It's weird. Anyway, the the solutions for the puzzle in the bottom left corner are Cuba, Egypt, Brazil, and Cyprus. There you go. <laughs> I found that more entertaining. Oh, for the uh, for the, the stamp que- <laughs> for the stamp collecting questions. Yeah. <laughs> We're yes. gonna make a stamp collect out collect out of you by the end of this uh, no. <laughs> end of this podcast, Fox. I can feel it. You're I'm be just super... saying the stamps were more interesting than the actual. Super writing. into the into these stamps. The future focus <laughs> oh, is, God. Uh, is space mining, which is a bunch of spaceships flying around an asteroid mining. It looks very Eve Online, I'd say. Yeah, what was with eggs back then being, like, the thing people sat in? You know, it's just a good... Uh, I don't know, it's just like the bubble dome is very futuristic, like the Jetsons yeah. and other things like that, you know what I mean? That's true. The arms get super detailed in this. I like it a lot. Yeah. There's some other game it reminds me of, but I forget which one it is. Maybe like Independence War 2 or something. That's what I want to say. Mm. Um, Prog 31 on the cover. Space dudes are investigating a planet for wildlife. They don't find any until finally one day a giant space wasp comes around. And they're like, oh, geez, we got to get out of here. There's a giant space wasp. <laughs> um, it turn- They get rid of it and all seems well, but it turns out the giant space wasp was just laying eggs. Dun, dun, dun. It's so unoriginal. Meanwhile, um, Earthlit Cassin of Liverpool is responding to the thrill overload of the first Future Shock last episode. Uh, Steve Goodjo submits a sweet mega ship picture. And yeah. They, and it's got a description that's just straight up God mode. Like, uh, this ship's the best, the greatest ship I've ever seen. <laughs> it's completely invulnerable. It's got the most powerful weapons. Uh, it's a quarter mile long. It can withstand anything. Come wow. at me, bro. <laughs> the things I make are the best, and you can't win. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Imagine all that in, in an English accent, because it's this kid from London, W2. Anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, uh, Steve Smith and his friends of Southampton want to know if Tharg is related to Mr. Spock because of his pointy ears. Uh First answer, how dare you? Second answer, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> and finally, so and finally, the future focus is uh, Star Warriors. And dude, it's stormtroopers from Star Wars. <laughs> like super, super obviously. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, they were like, well, we've got to make this look a little dread or something like that. So they put some spike shoulder pads on them and stuff. Made them look a little bit more metallic, but. No, they're, man, these are stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah, they're 100% stormtroopers. Yeah, like the, <laughs> like, the white armor and the and the black eyes and sort of the forward breathing apparatus stuff. They really they, could, uh, they really liked the movie, I think. Yeah, they're basically either they're stormtroopers or they're sort of like the first thing in the evolution of, in the evolution of of the space marine for Warhammer 40,000. Like they could be that too. Damn, no doubt. But it is kind of one of these things where, like, this is where stormtroopers and space marines sort of, like, this is where those two evolutionary lines, like, cross paths or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, they you, you see it a lot in Warhammer. I, I think they reach back. Uh, they go forward by going backwards, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And speaking of retro space action, 
Drill for Dan Dare. Not garbage. Dan Dare's back, motherfuckers! It's not shit. It's not total, complete garbage. But his face is weird in a lot of these pictures. He looks different, man. He's got a sweet new coat. Yeah, he does have a sweet new coat. It's a bomber jacket with a tight, skin-tight blue shirt underneath tucked into his jeans. Mm-hmm. He's so Dan no nonsense. Did... Oh, yeah. So Dan Dare gets hired by uh, SASA, the Solar Astronautical and Space Administration, to lead an expedition to the Lost Worlds, a sort of mysterious um, quadrant of the galaxy, and see why all the different like colonists and explorers there are all dead. <laughs> Great. Yeah. To do so, uh, Dare can handpick his crew, and he does so by heading to Topsoil, a uh, space station full of hot... That is a uh, hive of scum and villainy, essentially. Mm. It's full of all these bad dudes. Dan Dare basically wanders <laughs> the space station, picking fights with the toughest guys aboard the space station, and <laughs> telling them all to meet him at a certain spot. It's very uh, Three musketeers if you really want to get into classic literature. Absolutely. Uh, um, with a little bit of a mix of Star Wars, episode one, or episode, what, four? Four, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> so he... Picks a fight with all these dudes and then tells them to meet him at uh, this one spot like the next day. There's like a, a space cabbie that's super aggro. There's a uh, space Russian guy that's super strong. So There's, awesome. Uh, uh, a, de- a crack shot whose gun is fused onto his hand forever. Also, so many questions on that one throughout this comic, but continue. <laughs> uh, and so he shows up. Everybody's like, we're going to beat your ass, Dare. And he's like, oh, yeah, check out my sweet space fortress. Who wants to go on a space mission? And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you get paid heck of money. And they're like, oh, we love all of this. I'm ready all to go. Upside. Exactly. So we head out. Dan Dare has a crew. And now we're just basically, it's become sort of episodic as we go to different planets and sort of see what their deals are. Uh, first up, we go to this cool planet that looks like it has a bunch of shiny stuff on the surface. But, oh, geez, that shiny stuff shows out to be flying giant space bugs. Not great. Yeah. They kill all the space bugs and then destroy the planet. That was close. <laughs> and that's pretty awesome because that's exactly what you want to see. Oh, they attacked us. We're going to blow up the planet. Hey, I mean, those space bugs were, were, were a menace. He's using his ability to get things indirectly murdered, uh, <laughs> I think, in a better application. Indeed. So next we go to a desert planet. The desert planet's full of tornadoes that can instantly skeletonize people. Um, the planet itself seems to be alive. They end up sort of destroying or emptying the water supplies of their landing craft onto the surface of the planet to create quicksand, which freaks out the living planet. And then another shuttle craft comes by and picks them up. <laughs> Yay. And Space that's it. adventure over. Yeah. Yeah. Good time. Well, you know. Right now, it's kind of like, what you call it, uh, it's kind of like interstellar. You know, they kind of land on these planets to be like, okay, is this a good place? No, we're out of here. This is terrible. You know? Yeah, it seems like most of them are not great places to be. Ah, but the third one's different, man. The third planet is pretty sweet, actually. It's full of people. It's Roman-themed, complete with, like, hot Roman chicks. Lots uh, of hot Roman chicks. Yeah, Dan Dare puts down a near-mutiny of... Um, his troopers because who happen to, like, to be like hot blooded horny Italians with knives. Yeah, just to kind of be like, hey guys, like let's be cool and then we can hang out with all these uh, Roman chicks, you know? <laughs> Things go bad that night though when Dan Dare on patrol 
uh, finds two crewmen with their hearts torn out. And it turns out that all these space Roman dudes are actually space Roman vampire dudes. Space vampire Romans. The worst kind. And that's so. And that's kind of the cliffhanger for this week, as we're like, what are we going to do? Or, we, this plant's full of space vampire Romans, and my guys are all drunk. What are we going to do? <laughs> so, uh, this series has gone from shit and garbage and tat to being really great, and I love it. Yeah, it's um, good, right? <laughs> yeah, no, and this, this last prog specifically being space vampire Romans is amazing, but uh, it also has that sort of... Um, odyssey slash gulliver's travels feel to it you know mm-hmm yeah it's very like or like even just like star trek where it's just kind of like oh yeah like hey it's we're definitely. on a new planet what's going on but i agree that it's super start that this last one is super odyssey like just because like the guys are drunk and they're sort of being lured in by um ease and pretty women and stuff like that that makes it very yeah. like like the lotus eaters slash cersei part of yeah uh, the odyssey. exactly and um, really just, like, breezing through each place you get to... Like, I, I always like these non... Necessarily non... Um, like, story sequential. Maybe they've been to a couple of other places since this. It doesn't necessarily feel like there's continuity between the disparate episodes yet. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing, like, the different capabilities. There's already been losses. Um, they're seeing some cool stuff. The The ship looks fucking ridiculous <laughs> but it's a pretty fun ship man it's very but, um i'd say it's very like uh like 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 kenner toy kind of exactly kind of ship. i was and i was just about to say like if i was going to sell a toy you gotta make it look right and what is a comic book other than potential marketing yeah it's not quite a star destroyer yet but it's making I feel like as it's being drawn, it's slowly making a transition towards Star Destroyer. Oh, definitely. It could be one by the end. It is kind of V-shaped at the moment, but I think it's going to be more so in a couple, in like a, like three or four months of progs. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this one, man. Like a lot, to be honest. Yeah, it was a great uh, turnaround I, for, for yeah for Dan really, Hare, for sure. Really improved. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good space adventure. Speaking of space adventures. Thrill 5, Mach 1, which is quickly becoming like a space comic, essentially. Which is great. Yeah, so we'll remember last week, uh, John Probe, a.k.a. Mach 1, was going up in a space shuttle with another astronaut named Big Tex, who has been replaced by an evil duplicate. Yeah, a super evil double duplicate Texan. Yeah, so Tex sends Probe out to fix something on the outside of the space shuttle, and then engages the engines and flies off, thinking that Probe's dead. He totally faked him out and used hyper power, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Tex and the crew fly to the Russian space station Salyut B, which is an early warning military st- uh, satellite. They kill the crew and stuff, and um, Probe comes back and starts fighting them. He kills everybody except for Tex, and then Probe and Tex have a big zero-G knife fight. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Uh, pr- uh, Tex gets stabbed in the heart and Probe wins, but now it's too late. With the early warning satellite destroyed, a rogue U.S. general is going to fire an ICBM at Russia to start World War III. And it's really just this crazy general. Yep. Yeah, he's just kind of like, we gotta strike first. We can't wait. We gotta attack them. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. So, Probe starts trying to figure out what... So, next Probe tries... 
to figure out what he can do to stop the missile with a space shuttle. He's going to try to like intercept the missile with the body of the space shuttle. As he does so... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just like, that was going to be rather valiant for a dude who's been pretty moody racist. Oh, you know, he's just put in racist situations. He himself is not... A, I don't think he's particularly racist. <laughs> it's more like the comic is forcing him to like fight that uh, Japanese guy that was still there and thought the war was still on. Like, Probe wanted to uh, help that guy, you know? Uh, that's fair. Um, but so as Probe is maneuvering the ship, he gets attacked by Tex, who is still alive despite being stabbed in the heart because he has two hearts. Dun -dun <laughs> uh, Probe stabs Tex to death again, <laughs> and then swoops down the space shuttle and clips the launching nuke, which causes it to fall back and its fuel cells explode, destroying the air base and the evil American soldiers there. But not an actual nuclear explosion. Don't, don't worry, everyone. It didn't totally explode everywhere. It just kind of exploded some places. Yeah, but, you know, it's just a regular bomb amount. So it didn't, like, destroy the Earth. It just sort of killed a bunch of evil guys, which is fair. <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> oh, God. So next up, we start a new, se a, a new story. Uh, Air Force dudes <laughs> have a close encounter of the second kind with the UFO. And I'll note that Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the movie was about to come out in the U.S. and Britain and stuff. <laughs> and I don't think, and like the kid in me or the, the person that asks questions about these things thinks, I don't know if Air Force guys actually say of the second kind if they encounter something, even if they encountered a, a, a UFO. I don't even know if that's like actual military jargon. Yeah. One, I don't think it's actual jargon. Two, if they did, I think they'd say, like, we got a class two UFO encounter. Instead of yeah, you got an encounter of the second kind, which is such a clunky thing to say over a radio <laughs> or something like that, when they actually do say it, it's real dumb. Like, <laughs> like it just you want to sound cool when you say that you saw a flying saucer. Uh, man, if I'm a flight, if I'm a fighter pilot, all I care about is looking cool. Like, exactly. That's what, that's what I learned in Top Gun. That's what they teach you in Top Gun. At that's the a top, hundred, the top Gun got, school that Tom Cruise went to. You've got to look hot. You've got to look great. You've got to have witty one-liners. You've got to have cool call signs and names. And you've got to, like, be able to take on people in the least interesting way possible. How else are you going to take someone's breath away? Oh, <laughs> no. But, but so, no. But, but so this pilot's like, flight leader to base, we've got a close encounter of the second kind. It sounds so clunky, you know? It's really terrible. Anyhow, if, oh, right. as bad as this father who beats his son for having a stutter. Yeah, so the uh, the, the saucer crashes in the American-Canadian border in the nearby town of Pine City. It's observed by a kid named Simon, who's super, like, comically abusive dad, <laughs> kicks the crap out of him for no reason, for stuttering and for seeing things, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, like a few days later, John Probe shows up to investigate and gets an undercover job as like a lumberjack dude, breaking the dad's hand in the process. <laughs> well, because like um, the 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 dad the, the dad, aka Dutch Abe, <laughs> um, like hires people by putting on some brass knuckles and punching them in the stomach and seeing how they react. <laughs> and Probe's like, I got hyperpower. I don't care. I got abs of hyperpower, son. <laughs> You know. It's pretty great. This is like, oh, God, what happened? And everyone's like, all right, well, that's normal. 
Well, you, you broke my hand. You got a metal belly. <laughs> I mean, he does have a lot of muscles. It's true. He's pretty. He's pretty yoked for 1978, dude. Like that's <laughs> a fact. And then Probe does something selfless, like saving a kid. By the way. Yeah. So while undercover, Probe saves that Simon kid using his hyperpower and stuff. This leads to uh, Simon then helping probe find the spying saucer which they do but they're followed by a mob of townsfolk who are not pleased by that saucer's existence because <laughs> they're hicks yep <laughs> generic hicks this leads to a uh, to a confrontation between probe and local townsfolk he kicks their butts pretty effectively um including abe accidentally mishandling his chainsaw and getting caught in the face by his oh. own saw killing him instantly Wait. Which would be fucking gruesome, just so you know. You you have to, like, hold those things in a very specific way so it doesn't just, like, fucking, like, shoot back at you and cut you in half. Mm-hmm. Chainsaws is, are scary. Yeah, which which Dutch Abe does not do and catches a chainsaw in the face. Simon's basically okay with it. His dad wasn't a good guy, which is <laughs> fair enough, honestly. I think there was a very overt message that the writer was trying to send to some kids out there. Mm-hmm. At one point, these saucers' weapon engage, weapons engage, and we end with Probe inside the crashed saucer as four other flying saucers come flying toward them. After he found some white goo. Yeah, there's like there's stuff going on inside the saucer, you know? <laughs> that was Mach... Oh, no, that's not Mach 1. That is Mach 1. That's Mach 1. That's Mach 1. So it was fine. It was, it was, you know, to be perfectly honest... I think it's on par with a standard good thrilling story in this comic, unlike <laughs> past versions, right? Like, it's not just him being a brooding, like, this is what a mock man does, and here's my special mock maneuver. He's doing spy stuff, and there's aliens. Yeah, right. I think him being friendly with the kid was, was <laughs> fine. You know, it, it, it humanized him a bit, which is always nice. Yes. Uh, something that he has been severely lacking is some of that human trait. He's just like, I'm amazing, and it sucks to be how amazing I am. Uh, so, you know, white goo joke from the last Prague. Mm-hmm. Um, Tex having two hearts and being a super person because of, like, reasons. Like, that was weird. Mm-hmm. It didn't really explain super well why Tex was, like, super awesome. He kind of got, like, like some, ex- some extra stuff because he was in, like, a plane crash or something. But, yeah, he's got two hearts, and it's not really super explained. Yeah, why he can just, like, match a mock man is just kind of hand-waved away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, like, I can definitely see the the problem still inherent with the comic. Like, it's not just, like, he's amazing and that's it and his, and his bad guy chums are bad because they're really terrible. Um, <laughs> these ones are just kind of, like, bad guys, if you know what I mean. Not bad guys, but, like, yeah, they're just, like, shitty people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know. He's still just punching people that aren't nearly like him. And I think you had mentioned before, like, have an evil mock man. I think yeah, I mean, we're better. still not seeing the Mach 1 potential. But, you know, I thought these were fine. Like, yeah. just doing, doing secret agent stuff, doing some alien stuff. Like, that's all good. Non-offensive. Yeah. So, that's all I got. Speaking of uh, ending inoffensively, Thrill 6, Future <laughs> Shocks. <laughs> Um, like, (laughs) I mean, we could just roll through these because the premises are super simple, and it's like three panels. Okay, so uh, future shock one: there's a bunch of fighter jets fighter jetting. The winner 
uh, flies back to base. Oh, geez, it's a falcon, like an actual bird. His jet's being maintained by a chimp and a tiger. Uh, humans bred animals to fight, and now all the humans are dead, more than likely. The uh, big thing in this one is that as the uh, is that the falcon narrates his fight with the other jets and constantly makes references to animals. Like that's like the hint. <laughs> like every single every single thing he says, like 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 every word balloon has at least one animal reference or call out. I really liked that he just flew right out of the helmet. Like ah, oh, it was so easy. I'm a bird. Yep. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, next up, a bunch of this uh, was great. A bunch of astronauts land on a planet. They find <laughs> cowboys that are also aliens. They're alien cowboys. The, uh, they get along real good and sort of talk about Texas things and stuff like that. There's buffalo or there's cows with brands and stuff. The, cow, the uh, astronauts head off to find civilization. Big twist ending. The cowboys get on their horses and they're like humans that are that are giant and sort of been they're riding like horses. They're actually on Earth. It's been a couple million. It's been a couple thousand years, and humans all kill themselves. Good times. <laughs> uh, third story: a uh, a Star Trek like spaceship sort of approaches the spooky remains of an alien full of of a of a plant full of alien jerks. That are super warlike. They sort of dodge some old planetary defenses that are still working and show how evil and warlike these guys were. Oh man, turns out it's Earth. They're all humanity's dead. <laughs> uh, final story Earth is super overcrowded. The uh, TV advertises new resettlement opportunities. This one jerk bullies his way through basically the entire Earth, it seems like, to finally get a ticket to the, uh, to the new settlement thing. It turns out that he and all the other jerks are, instead of being dropped in a sunny paradise planet, are being dropped in a hostile uh, jerk planet where they can learn to either help each other or die. Uh, that is a very concise, amazing amount of little precious time spent on and that terrible thing. That's the future shocks. Humanity's dead, guys. Humanity's always dead. <laughs> You were right about these being Twilight Zones, and I don't really have much to say other than the Falcon thing was cute, uh, the jerk planet thing was kind of funny, uh, but more than anything, I liked the horse humans. <laughs> the picture of these horse humans is pretty terrifying, guys. <laughs> They're like just kind of like kind of hairy dudes, like full cuts and like blank eyes, but otherwise they sort of have saddles and like bits and saddlebags on them and stuff. It's fairly it's... horrifying. Yeah, it's really just, uh, it's one of my favorite things that I think they've drawn, and I really hope that the premise for that future shock came from that drawing. <laughs> like they started from there and worked backwards? I could see it. Oh, yeah. Like, I, it's just such a striking thing. Like, the rest of them are like, okay. I, I don't know, the one where they go to planet Earth, they all look like humans, but they don't ever show their hands, and then in the last shot, they show their hands, and they're werewolf-like hands, and it's like, oh... Oh, they're not humans. They were talking about humanity, though. Yeah, it sucks. Hey, Fox. What's up, buddy? Bottom and top and bottom thrill this month. How, what are you feeling like? Oh, man. Uh, it is rough on the top end. Uh, let's see. You know, Invasion and Shaco were, were these really great murders. I like that Shaco is going into Act 2. This is definitely... We're seeing the fall of Shaco for a minute. He's going to claw his way back and become a uh, sort of, I don't know, Riddick-like character, question mark? He'll become king of all bears. Okay. Um, but uh, I also really liked kind of 
Okay, so Dan Dare, like greatest improvement, Mach 1, second greatest improvement. Uh, I'd like to see it do a lot more of those things, but they weren't <clears throat> the most amazing. So I'm going to go with Shaco. All right. And I am glad that I can finally see some of his uh, mortality. What was your top thrill? Oh, man, for me, it's Judge Dredd all the way, man. Judge Giant, awesome. Rico, uh, Neon Knight, uh, Anti-Robot, Hate Group, oh, Clan. And then, the re- and then the return of Whitey's kind of a moderate one. Yeah, just yeah. because like what I know what you know Whitey's not this doesn't become this huge guy or whatever, but it's still sort of a fun revisiting of a previous concept. Oh, everything's absolutely. everything's real good. Everything's real good in Judge Dredd, and I'm really happy about it. I love that it's second place right now, and I'm waiting for it to fight its way to first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely right. a good a good second comic for this for this uh, for this set of progs. It's, a good, it's like, always so enjoyable. Yeah, like it's just you, you get done with invasions, insanity, and then it's just like, all right, let's keep let's keep it going at a high level with uh, Judge Dredd being all crazy and killing people, and in the future, <laughs> <laughs> then you jump straight into bear bears murdering people. I think it's, it's just uh, I feel like that stride. It's it's really well met. The first third is the first half of this of these progs are so like it just a nonstop thrill ride. I think so. I, so I what, completely agree with you. So what's your bottom thrill this month, Fox? Uh, I mean, are we counting other stuff slash, um, what is it, the, the weird Twilight Zone stories? Why am I forgetting their names? Future Shocks? Future Shocks. I mean, you can I'm do sorry. whatever you want. I'll tell you right now, my bottom thrill is definitely these Future Shocks. They are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> future Shocks, 100%. I think we're meeting on this one. They, Just, they We're not great. Like, it's it's... <laughs> Man, the first time, um, it's Earth all along, and all of humanity is dead. Like, the first time that happens, it's fine. Like, the fact that, like, like three, that that was the plot of three quarters of the, uh, of the Future Shocks this month. Yeah. It's real bad. It's real, like, okay, like, like, I need a different twist ending. (laughs) You know, at this point, it's just lazy. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't actually know. You know, Planet of the Apes came out in 1968. Mm-hmm. So, and let's see. Let me see something I think it's just a long-standing trope. I mean, a lot of Twilight Zones are like that, too, honestly. Well, Twilight Zone came out in, like, uh, the early 60s. Yeah, 1959. So, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. You got to do other stuff too. Like sometimes it's got to be like, oh no, but actually that guy's the devil or something like that. You know? Yeah, I, like they're not doing anything that I've seen yet with like magic or um, I, I don't know something a little bit more creepy. And I get that they're going for kind of a sci-fi thing because they're aliens or whatever. But they've used magic before. Yeah, uh, it's just bad. I just need it to be better. I don't care how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> just don't have an eagle or a hawk fly out of a fucking helmet oh after making God. a bunch of bird. <laughs> it's so like wait what like that was a page i mean it, it was it was as good as it's gonna get for a page and a half story you know oh sure i just but i've i've seen that shorter point, dread comics in some of these situations and they've still been good i mean at that point it's just like well why don't you just like kick another page to like shack to like another story you know yeah i'm sure most of these stories would love to have another page or two of murder yeah to add things in and stuff and like this future shock is not adding anything to this comic you know i wonder if around the same time there were just a lot of serialized comics where it's like content or at least the amount 
a variation was kind of king yeah. and not so well, much the deep. Yeah, there definitely is. I feel like they definitely like they buy these comics ahead of time and then they sort of like find space for them and things change around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. I'm sure it's one of these things where there's like, or I bet that at this point they had like 20 future shocks sort of in a pile and, yeah. they, were, and they were more slotting different ones in based on how much, how much space they had in the comic in a given day, you know? Well, that makes, I guess, some sense, but also, you know, just don't use future shocks. Look, the fact that I know that I can empathize with why they're in here doesn't make them any better. <laughs> Thank you. In the thing, like having a reason doesn't fix, um, doesn't improve their quality. If that right. Makes sense. Like just like being a historian or knowing a history doesn't change how someone might feel or have to experience something. Exactly. And uh, they're real bad. I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they get. Well, no, I know they get better. There's some real good future shocks as time goes by. These early ones. Uh, you know, a lot of a, a lot of these stories have needed some time to improve. We're seeing two comic like Dan Dare and Mach One's improvement this month is really palpable. Uh, <laughs> future shocks are going to get there too. I know they awesome. Will. Hey, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, and um, on that on that hopeful note. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. And hey, tune in next week as we once again travel off the beaten path of Prague's for the 2080 annual from night for 1978. They year them a year ahead of time since the 1977 annual just comes out. 19, it just says 1978 on it. That's how it goes. Uh, <laughs> prepare yourself for... Uh, Version 1.0 Dan Dare fighting monsters, Bill Savage fighting tanks and scuba diving, Mach 1 skydiving, the Harlem Heroes high climb, Judge Dredd hunting traitors, at least one more article about space stamps, a whole bunch of future shocks, and the shocking prequel to Shacko. All this and more next episode. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spundug for a thrig! <laughs>